skeletons and shivers down your spine. Shrieking skulls will shock your soul and seal your doom tonight. Spooky, scary skeletons speak with such a screech. You'll shake and shudder in surprise when you hear these zombies shriek. You know, I was actually, I was growing up Black Coast in Colorado. Because uh, I think something about one of my parents, one of my parents was actually lactose intolerant and was, and it just made, I think it's my dad, it just makes it easier for everyone if we just, you know, whatever milk he was using, we, we would end up using. So I was grown up lactose intolerant and then like the minute my parents divorced and my dad left, I was just like, all right, so regular milk? <laughs> and my mom was just like... Oh yeah, yeah. N no, no more of that soy shit. <laughs> I was just like, I was just like, yeah, yeah. So you never had yeah. any problems with regular milk? No, and I never had, and I never had problems with soy either. Like the soy, yeah. I never hated it. You know, soy you, you kind of just, you kind of deal with it. Soy milk was gross. As you know, as someone who doesn't drink regular milk, yeah, I would say that soy milk is is disgusting. Almond milk is the shit. That's where it's at. Yeah, I would definitely take almond milk over soy milk. Uh, here on Milk Review, <laughs> here to review your milk. Um, I have Django Phillips uh, back again. Always love having you here. Um, you, I, I just realized your episodes. Uh, your four, your first one was on four. I'm breaking into conspiracy version, Captain Death, for a second here, because your first episode was episode four, your second one was episode ten, and now your third one is going to be episode sixteen. So your progression of six, 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 the number of the beast. <laughs> oh man, <laughs> I kind of like, I kind of like that though. It's funny. That's good. Um, That's good. so your next episode, don't don't see me again for like another week or so. Yeah. But we'll we'll get you we'll get you in on another sixth episode and we'll call it like the special of the beast or something oh, like, that. Ooh, uh, I like that. This is lots of pasta. This is a podcast where it's we read. Uh, it's not milk. Re okay. Milk reviews I, over. I did have a notable milk that I want to talk about, but it's fine. If we, no, if it's not milk review, I don't want to. I don't want to break into your podcast with another podcast. I had a, a, a ninety-seven Lehigh Valley Farms uh, this week from nineteen ninety-seven Reserve. Uh, and it was really good, tangy and chunky, and it was like a was, good body. It was practically blue cheese. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was very nice. It was a smooth milk. Anyway, that's my milk review. I don't want to. Next week on milk review, does my milk have cum in it? <laughs> Find out <laughs> with uh, with Dax Shepard next week. We answer the questions <laughs> that you need answered. Uh, so this is lots of pasta and I'm your host Captain Death we are reading creepypastas and today I wanted it to be a little bit special um, so I, I gave some options and I think we we definitely decided that we're gonna just we're gonna hit Slenderman we're gonna hit Slenderman this week that's big yeah that's it's big huge yep. and uh, I know there were a couple other people that I could have read Slenderman with because I had started Slenderman with other people yeah. that we're both friends with. Yeah. And uh like I would say my my friendship with Terry the Tickler was almost solidified by Slenderman. Uh because we would just we would all we would watch uh Marble Hornets together and we would just talk about the something awful and the pictures yeah. and shit. So so yeah um we're gonna we're gonna run into Slenderman real quick. How do you how do you feel about that? I feel great. I agree. I think Slenderman is like the gateway to all. Slenderman is like the weed of creepypasta. 
Yeah, it's funny that you you mentioned that. Is it is it deft? Is it funny that I mentioned that? Why would that be? Precursor for lots of pasta, uh, specifically for today's extra spoopy sauce episode. We uh, we encourage you to turn the lights down real low. Get that fog machine that uh, you're you're you know it's it's January. By the time this airs, it's probably gonna be Valentine's Day. Maybe that would oh, be wow. cute. Yeah. Slenderman for Slenderman for V Day, and um, Cuddle up to your favorite lover, select one, and then you know get one of those white lycra suits, put a suit on him, yes, and then uh, and then you could have your holidays with Slenderman Ooh. as your as your Valentine. Romantic. <laughs> stroll in the woods. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Take a stroll in the woods. <laughs> bring a picnic basket, a blanket, take and just a walk in the woods sit down and at have two a.m. In a in a suit <laughs> in a black layer. suit and tie, uh, with your uh, with your sweetheart, and just get slender. The the creepiest thing about these implications is that Slenderman mostly abducts children, yeah. so your sweetheart would need to be like an eight year old in this oh, case. God, <laughs> excuse me, sir. What are you doing out here at two o'clock in the morning uh, with with? Uh, no, this is my niece. This is my niece. <laughs> if you're if you're listening to this podcast and your Valentine is an eight year old, uh, we officially don't want you listening anymore i think we could say that right invitation rescinded <laughs> please turn this off at this point because you're really way more creepy than anything we have to read and uh and that's the creepy pasta right there that's it uh so we uh we recommend you turn the lights down real low like i was saying uh and then we're gonna we're going to grab that fog machine that your parents told you to fucking put away two months ago, but you left it in the garage. Um, you're going to fill that shit up with some fog juice, some uh, some 20%. <laughs> what? What's the alcohol level? <laughs> fill it up with some, some whiskey, some fog juice, and like uh, some bong water, and just steam up your entire fucking house. That's a great idea. <laughs> it's probably kill you. Yeah, we'll kill you, actually. <laughs> All those things combined would probably yeah. present a toxic environment to breathe in. I don't want to find out, though, now. That's has has anyone ever backwards developed a, bon- a, a, a fog machine to be a bong machine? Yeah. And shoot out, like, yeah. bong vapor? If you have. Real questions. Us. Asking the real questions. Email us at pasta. Uh, Mythbusters. At pasta. Mythbusters make it happen. Lots of, lots of at pasta.com org. Uh, yeah yeah let's go with that yeah lots of, <laughs> lots of at it's definitely not like lots of pasta at gmail or anything no, like that no we have our own domain <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> okay so we're gonna we're gonna dive right into some slender man uh here with django phillips uh this is i usually tell my visitors to start off reading but i i think the way we're presenting the readings back and forth i'm gonna start with a short one which I think takes place the oldest of all of the Slenderman stories, um, at least um, timeline-wise, like uh, referencing in the story. Um, it might not be the first Slenderman story to come out. I don't know if there is a definitive. I thought the um, the first, there was no real like first story. It was just a file, right? I feel like the the first instance of slenderman were those doctored photographs yeah yeah but but then yeah but then it was just like um like the something awful forums were basically just 
information appearance and like stats. Yeah. I don't think there was an actual fictionalized attempt of, yeah, we're going to, we're going to start with a a creepypasta called the tall man because he's tall and slender. I know of an old Romanian fairy tale, highly unpopular, even in its earliest iterations. It might be based on a particular event or perhaps is an extrapolation from existing Slenderman stories. The translation I'm most familiar with goes a bit like this. Once upon a time, there were twin girls, Stella and Serena. Maybe this is the story that those two those two little girls fucking those read before. Yeah. yeah. Those two little oh fucks. Oh my god. Making creepypasta terrible for everyone. Oh. We, we believed the Slenderman was real, so we stabbed our friend 12 times. Because it, it was seriously so scary. And then we looked at her, and she was like, she was tall, and she was pretty skinny, to be honest. So we were like, well, let's kill her. And then we stabbed her. Like, what idiots? Oh, it's really funny. I'm going to definitely watch that documentary when that comes out. Where's the full documentary? On it's, those it's girls. On those case. girls. It's called Beware the Slenderman or something. Oh. You didn't know that. I thought you'd know that. No. It might actually be out already. Damn it me. might have. It might have come out. Yeah, that makes, makes me feel worse. But I haven't seen it yet. So, I, so to me, it's not out yet. Yeah, Stella and Serena. They were brave little girls and had no fear of the dark, nor of spiders and other crawling things. Rather, young ladies and even young boys would cower. Stella and Serena would walk with their heads held high. They were good girls, obedient to their mother and father, and to the word of God. Django Phillips gestured to the sky <laughs> very nobly. <laughs> Halo! <laughs> That's bad. I definitely see that. They were the best children a mother could ask for, and this was their undoing. One day, Stella and Serena were out with their mother, gathering berries from the forest. Their mother bid them stay close to her, and they listened, as they were good children. The day was bright and clear, and even as they walked closer to the center of the forest, the light barely dimmed. It was nearly as bright as noon when they found the tall man. The tall man stood in a clearing, dressed as a nobleman, all in black. Shadows lay over him, dark as a cloudy night. He had many arms, all long and boneless as snakes, all sharp as swords, and they writhed like worms on nails. They did not speak... He did not speak, but made his intentions known. Their mother tried not to listen, but she could no more disobey the tall man than she could forget how to breathe. She walked into the clearing, her daughter shortly behind her. Stella, she said, take my knife and cut a circle on the ground big enough to lie in. Stella, who was not afraid of the tall man nor afraid of the quiver in her mother's voice, obeyed what her mother said. Serena, the mother said. Take the berries and spread them in the earth, and crush them underfoot until the juice stains the earth. Though Serena wondered why her mother asked her to do such a thing, she obeyed, because she was a good girl. Stella, the mother said, lie in the circle. Stella, though she was worried she might stain her clothes, did as her mother asked. Serena, the mother said, and did Serena cut her sister open with the knife. Serena could not, would not. Please, her mother said. If you don't, it will be worse, so much worse. But Serena could not, and she threw the knife away and ran home crying, 
she hid under her bed, afraid for the first time in her life. She waited until her father came home from the fields and told him of the terrible thing she had found in the woods. Her father comforted her and told her she would be safe. He went to the woods, his axe in hand, and as he commanded, she stayed by the hearth, waiting for his return. After some time, she fell asleep. When she woke up, it was to the sound of knocking on her door at the darkest hour of the night. Who is there? She said. It is your father, the knocker said. I don't believe you, said Serena. It is your sister, the knocker said. It cannot be, said Serena. I am your mother, said the knocker, and I told you it would be worse. And the door locked tight before her father left fell open as if it had been left ajar. And her mother stepped in, her sister's head clutched in one bloody hand, her father's in the other. Why? wept Serena. Because, said her mother, there is no reward for goodness, there is no respite for faith, there is nothing but cold steel teeth and scourging fire for all of us, and it's coming for you now. And the tall man slid from the fire and clenched Serena in his burning embrace, and that was the end of her. I had read a lot of what was proposed as like the oldest myths, like actual myths existing in the world dating back to not just Slenderman, the oldest myth, the oldest myths of a tall figure that okay. would that would steal children, essentially, because the Slenderman was a remake, basically, of an actual German folktale fairy tale of uh a child stealer of sorts that was basically like a man who would flay kids and leave them in the in the woods. Wow, okay. An actual thing. Yeah. Um the way they described it was like a man, a man who no one could really ever describe would come into town and follow kids and then they would be found later in the woods completely naked with their insides like ripped open and hooked into trees and shit and like full organs and stuff missing. That's that's heavy. So somewhere down the line, this is either found or manipulated and um, or even told uh, over um, word of mouth. Because fucked up fairy tales and stories always kind of existed throughout time. And it's really hard to believe that, you know, an idea of a child killer that lurked in the shadows isn't very hard to come up with, you know, throughout all the fucking thousands of years of human life. So... I, I had researched all of this, all of the original myth, uh, Der Grossmann from German folk, folklore. Um, there's something called the Dub, uh, D-U-B-H, which okay. is very close to the original Slendermanic's uh, experience too. But um, the tall man kind of reinforces, it's a fictionalized version of what would have been original, story. yeah, yeah that's cool. of the original that's cool. story. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I I really like Tom I like that the idea is that Romanians would tell that to their kids. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no, <laughs> there's, there's no they'd be like they'd be like, yeah, you uh you might as well just not be good kids yeah. because it you, doesn't we all die. Because <laughs> a man's gonna come out of the fire and <laughs> absorb you. <laughs> fucking kill That's you. It. That's life. Welcome to life. If kids. you're a good little kid, you'll fucking die like everyone else. <laughs> and if you're bad, you'll die. So it's but fun. at least you'll... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is no real silver lining for these no, for these stories. Um, this one's pretty cool. I, I'll, I'll give you the choice. You want to read Slenderman Cometh or Tall, Faceless, and Something. I forgot what it's called. Handsome. 
all faceless and handsome. <laughs> is that it? Yeah. <laughs> that's on that's on Slenderman's business card or Slenderman something. Slenderman after dark. Yeah, that's what he hands oh, out yeah. to the ladies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna let you read this one yeah, because, yeah, just because you said that. That's good. This is the Slenderman cometh. It's a creepy pasta. I once lived a normal life. I was a groundskeeper at a local cemetery. It wasn't the best job, but hey, it paid the bills. I lived alone in an apartment complex that stood about a mile from the cemetery in which I worked. I would spend my time writing short stories about my boring life and the days I spent at the cemetery. When I worked, it was usually during the afternoon into twilight hours. I never would have worked at night. That place is as creepy as it is, thank you very much. I stayed far away from it during the night. It was always the same routine. Show up at the cemetery, gather my tools and go out to pick up trash and tidy up gravestones until it started to get dark and then go home and do whatever. Nothing special. This routine continued for a year and a half, ever since the day I got the job. Not once did I ever run into anything spooky, like you'd see in a cheesy horror movie. There were never any black cats or curses, and certainly no zombies crawling out of the ground to eat my brains. However, there was one day that would change my life forever. The day I saw him, or rather it, the day I saw the Slender Man. It started off like any other day. I walked to the cemetery, got my tools, and headed out to pick up the trash. But something felt different that day. It was hard to explain, but I felt as though I was being watched. I would constantly look around nervously, only to find that there was nothing around. The only sounds I heard were birds chirping in the trees and the occasional car that passed by. So I spent the entire day on edge, something in the back of my mind telling me that there was something else with me in that cemetery. At the end of my shift, as I headed back to put my tools away for the night, I noticed that the birds were gone, and there were no cars passing by anymore. Everything was eerily quiet. Just then I saw what appeared to be a man standing about a hundred feet from me. From what I could see, he was abnormally tall and wore a black suit jacket with a white shirt and black tie. Because it was beginning to get dark, I couldn't see his face very well, so I couldn't tell if he was anyone familiar. I called out to him, but he didn't move. He just stood there like a statue. I began to walk towards him, accidentally dropping my tools along the way. I bent down to pick them up, and when I looked to where the man was, he was gone. There was no sign of him anywhere. I scratched my head and shook it off, thinking that I was just seeing things because I was overworked. I put my tools away and headed home, but I walked a little quicker than usual. I was still a little nervous, and questions filled my head. Who was that man? Why did he just stand there? How did he disappear so quickly? Was he real or just a figment of my imagination? That night I barely slept at all. It was my thoughts that caused my insomnia. The next day at the cemetery, I was even more tense. I felt like if a leaf were to fall on my head, I'd scream in terror. Unfortunately for me, the more tense I got, the more distracted I got from my work. Soon enough, my boss Jeff came out to talk to me. Jeff was a good guy. He and my father went way back, and he was the one who gave me the job as a groundskeeper in the first place. He and I were also good friends, and he knew that I wasn't acting myself that day. Steve, what's the matter? He asked me. You seem a little off today. Is something wrong? I didn't want to sound like a crazy person, but I knew I could never lie to Jeff. So I told him the truth. I saw something yesterday, Jeff. There was a man in a suit that was just standing in the cemetery. He didn't do anything, and then he just disappeared out of nowhere. It kind of freaked me out. Jeff looked at me like I was crazy. Wait, what did you say this man looked like? I was surprised that he actually somewhat believed my story. He was really tall, with a nice suit on. It was too dark, so I couldn't see his face. Jeff rubbed his head and sighed. I don't believe it. I rolled my eyes, thinking that he was talking about my story. But then he continued. I didn't think the legends were true. 
but what you've explained to me, Steve, verifies that maybe the Slender Man does exist. Now I was the one that was confused. Slender Man? What's a Slender Man? Well, it's this thing that I, I read on the interwebs late at night, and uh, these darn kids <laughs> just think it's the creepiest <laughs> fucking... Jeff's boss is 92. <laughs> <laughs> I, still put, I still put bodies in the ground, you know? <laughs> You just gotta get yourself some Burma shave. That's that's all you need to do. I'm not the one you should be asking these questions, Steve. I only know a little bit about him. But I have a friend, James. He knows everything there is to know about the Slender Man. He took out a piece of paper and a pencil, and he scribbled something down. Handing it to me, he said, This is where he lives. I'll give you a call and tell him what you saw, and that you're coming to learn more about Slender Man. Any questions you may have, he'll answer them. I still thought the idea was a little crazy, but I wanted to know exactly what the Slender Man was. That night, I did as Jeff suggested and paid a visit to his friend James. As I entered the house, I saw he was already seated at a table with pictures scattered all around. When I walked through the door, James greeted me with a smile. Ah, Stephen! Jeff told me you were coming. Please take a seat. I pulled up a chair to the table and began to observe some of the pictures he had laid out. Jeff told me that you think you saw the Slender Man and that you want more info on him. Well, you've come to the right place. I nodded and he began to tell me everything he knew. One thing you should know about the Slender Man. He is not human, James began. We don't know what he is exactly. We know for sure he isn't human. People who have seen him describe him just as you saw him, but he is sometimes seen with black tentacles emerge from his back. He is a fearsome creature, and kills most likely for the fun of it. Now let me give you a little backstory on the Slender Man. One of the first recorded instances of him was back in the mid-1500s in Germany. A woodcut artist by the name of Hans Freckenberg created a piece displayed a creature that looks not unlike the Slender Man. It was discovered in Halsberg Castle in 1883. Here's what it looks like. He slipped one of the pictures over to me, one that depicted a knight dealing with a strange humanoid creature with multiple arms and legs. James continued. Now, Hans Freckenberg was known for his realistic depiction of human anatomy. But as you can see in that work, the character on the right has multiple arms and an oddly shaped face. This work differs greatly from all his other works. I was intrigued at the amount of knowledge James had, but he wasn't quite finished. He slid another picture over to me. This one showed several children frolicking on a playground. Nothing out of the ordinary, except for the fact that a man that looked exactly like the one I saw in the cemetery was standing ominously in the background. Looking at that picture caused chills to race down my spine. Now here's the first recorded photograph of the Slender Man. You can see him just in the background. According to records, every single child in that photograph disappeared shortly after it was taken. They haven't been seen since. I was astonished. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. James then passed me a few more modern-looking pictures. Each one seemed like a normal, everyday nature or family photo, but in the background of every one, the same tall man could be seen, looming in the shadows. That's pretty much all you need to know, James concluded. Any questions? I shook my head, still trying to wrap my head around why this thing was looking at me the day I saw him. The Slender Man is a mysterious force, Stephen, James told me. Nobody knows exactly why he does the things he does. Whether he does it for sport, or he's a pawn for some higher being, we'll never know. Coming to this realization, I knew that I had to do something. I decided that the next day I would find the Slender Man and see for myself what kind of monster he was. I figured he was probably still in the vicinity of the cemetery, so I would hopefully find and capture him. I wouldn't try that if I were you, James warned. Slender Man has powers that you wouldn't believe. It's best to let nature take its course. And whatever you do, don't try to approach him if you see him. 
I assured James that I would do no such thing and thanked him for all the information as I left. However, I was still content on attempting to end the Slender Man's reign of terror once and for all. Okay, so he's going off of... He's going off of... Solely off of information that this dude is supposedly providing for him. And... Now all he wants to do is fuck this dude up? <laughs> That's it. He looked at me in a cemetery once and everyone thinks he's kind of weird. I'm gonna fucking end his reign of terror. And also, it's not even like Steve like reacting to it. It's like James himself has like these binders full of information on the yeah. Slender Man. And he has like, I'm a library. <laughs> <laughs> he's like, yeah, I've been doing this for 10 years. Uh, there's this murderer who's uh, like crazy and he's a monster and he's from another dimension. But, you know. Do you want some tea? Like, he's, like, <laughs> just, like, in his house. I feel like there there have been multiple times where I've wanted to stop and just be, like, multiple things throughout Slenderman lore would have stopped a lot of this yeah. from happening. Yeah. Getting this far, like you know. would have called, like, the cops. There wouldn't like, be you know? a specialist on Slenderman. I think something about the thought of him is what magnetizes him and, like, makes him focus. So, like... The more you give into it and the more you paranoid yourself and the more you try to research and try to collect information, I think the stronger its hold will eventually be on you yeah. because it's all based you know, upon your mind and upon um, going mad yeah. with the site. And um, I don't think there would ever be a Slenderman specialist. Exactly, because he would, he would pretty much make sure that that never happened. He likes the lingering unanswered pictures, that kind of rest. You. But... The minute someone starts drawing lines is when he's just like, mm, can't have you doing that yeah. now. Yeah. I and exist I think, solely in the realm of people's paranoia. I think I think James as a character, his inclusion in the story is kind of that. Like like what you're saying, it should yeah. not have happened. Because, totally. it, you know, he kind of like, it's a deus ex machina, is that what they call it? Like, yeah. Like he's, you know, he like slipped him a number, he's like, here's this convenient character that knows everything about yeah, what for you com- just saw. For completely unrealistic reasons. Yeah. Here's a specialist. Just go to him and have a ten minute conversation. Like it, it, will, totally up speed. it will lead the plot further. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, it's what happens. I worked through the next day like it was any other day. But I kept my guard up the whole time, looking for any signs of the Slender Man. There was no sign of him the entire day, but once my shift was over, I put away my tools, except for a flashlight and headed over to where I saw him standing just a couple days prior. Like that fateful day, everything was eerily quiet. No birds or cars made any sound. I could sense he was nearby. I approached the area where I first saw him and sat on one of the gravestones, waiting. I knew he would come, eventually. After about 20 minutes, I began to give up, give up hope until I heard rustling coming from the woods that surrounded the cemetery. It was beginning to get darker, and I got a little nervous. I had never been in that area when it was dark before. It was almost pitch black now, and I only had the full moon and my flashlight for light. I gathered up some confidence and walked into the woods, my flashlight shining through the darkness. I followed the rustling sound through the woods, and it began to get louder and louder. I grew closer and closer, and my heart began to race. Sweat formed on my brow, and my hands shook as I tried to hold the flashlight steady. Show yourself! I ordered as loudly as I could. Suddenly, from out of the brush of the woods came a squirrel. I let out a deep sigh of relief as the squirrel just stared at me for a few seconds. Then it took off running away from me. I thought nothing of it. It was a squirrel, after all. They're usually afraid of their own shadow. I turned around and it felt like I walked into a brick wall. I fell hard to the ground and dropped my flashlight. I couldn't see much, but I could see the outline of a figure, illuminated by the full moon. 
I stumbled around like a madman, grabbing for the flashlight. I found it and shined it at the figure. I stared its legs and moved the light up its body. When I hit its torso, I saw that it was wearing a suit and tie. I swear I felt my heart stop for a moment. I shined the light up at its face and gasped in horror at what I saw. This creature had no face. It looked like an empty canvas. No hair, no face, nothing. Just a pale white head looking down at me, as if it knew I was there. He must have been at least nine or ten feet tall. I stumbled to my feet, and I felt two hands grasp my neck. I began to panic as my heart raced faster and faster, my breathing getting heavy. The creature pulled me closer and raised me up so my head was level with his. I stared into where his face should have been, and as he tilted his head, as if he were observing me. I could barely breathe as his grasp grew tighter around my neck. I struggled furiously and suddenly several black tentacles emerged from the creature's back. I knew this was the end. I was about to become another victim of the Slender Man. He raised one of his tentacles and I braced myself for the end. However, I heard a faint bark of dogs and a few men calling my name. The creature turned his head towards the noise and then back to me. He took the raised tentacle and wrapped it around my forearm. A burning pain shot through my entire arm and I winced. If that thing's hands hadn't been cutting off my air supply, I would have screamed bloody murder. The pain was unlike anything I had ever experienced before. The creature dropped me to the ground and stood above me for a few seconds. I looked up to it and I swear he nodded to me before fading in the surrounding darkness. I grasped for breath as the men found me. Jeff was with them. It's like those old uh, Pepsi commercials with uh, the dude from the Steelers. And he like turns around and he's like, hey kid, you throw some Pepsi. <laughs> That's what Slenderman just did. He's like, he's like, hey kid, burns his nod. fucking arm yeah. and then nods and then fades into darkness. I had no idea where you were going. He said it's like that old Pepsi commercial where Slenderman comes out of the woods and starts strangling that no, groundskeeper. No, no, it's like, no, now you get it though, right? Yeah, now I got it. Yeah. That's all I thought. It's like Slenderman never shows behavior. You know, he never shows emotion or understanding. He yeah, he, doesn't nod. he he definitely wouldn't nod or tilt his head in confusion. It is. It is exactly. And it was it was literally like, hey, hey, mister, can I get your autograph? Yeah. And he's just like, oh, hey, hey, kid, fuck, take my coke. Remember, <laughs> remember that time I almost killed you? That was pretty fun. All right, I'll see you later. <laughs> Burns your fucking arm. <laughs> see you Don't later, guy. About me. <laughs> Steve, what the hell happened here? We heard you yelling, so we came out to find what was wrong. With what little energy I had left, I let out a whisper, barely audible. It was... Slender man. Then everything went black. When I awoke, I found myself in a hospital bed, my neck and forearm still in pain. Once I had regained complete consciousness, I looked down at my forearm and saw that there was a black mark where the Slender Man had wrapped his tentacle around me. I stared at it for a few minutes, trying to contemplate why it had spared my life and left me with just a black mark. Before I had a chance to think anymore, Jeff and James came into my room, Jeff carrying my laptop. How are you feeling, Steve? Jeff asked me. Still in a little bit of pain, I replied. The doctors say I should be out in a couple days, maybe even tomorrow. I warned you not to approach him. James shook his head. I figured he would be a little upset with me. I know. I really wish I had listened to you. I apologized. He put his hand on my shoulder in comfort. It's alright, I know how you feel. You wanted to get up close and personal view of the Slenderman. Eh, who wouldn't? I'm just surprised he let you live. I was just as surprised. Had it not been for the men calling for my name, I probably wouldn't have gotten so lucky. Soon after, Jeff handed me my laptop. Why'd you bring this? I asked him. Because you need to tell your story, he replied. The story about how you met and survived the Slender Man. I'm sure a lot of people are going to want to hear about it. But who's to say anyone will believe it? 
I asked skeptically. James smiled and put his hand on my shoulder. Stephen, for every skeptic, there is a believer. I'm sure someone out there would believe it. Hell, maybe there's someone who's had an experience just like yours. Now get some rest before you start writing. You need it. The two started to walk away until I called them. Hey guys, why do you think he left me with this? I showed them the black mark on my arm, and James rubbed his chin. No idea. I've never heard of any reported cases of that happening. Maybe since you were lucky enough to survive him, he gave it to you as something to remember him by. He smiled, and the two walked out of my room. I chuckled to myself at the thought, but then I realized that maybe that wasn't such a crazy idea after all. I opened my laptop and began writing this story. My story. The story of my experience with the Slender Man. If I learned anything from that ordeal, it's that we may never know who or what the Slender Man is exactly, and where he's going to show up next. But I give this warning to you, dear reader. Beware the Slender Man, for the Slender Man watches us all. Hey, kid. <laughs> Tosses him his coke. Okay, and then the hospital scene is like the last Lord of the Rings movie. When they all come <laughs> in the hospital. And like James is there and Jeff is there. And like, hey, you survived the Slender Man. Do you want an ice cream sandwich? Like, <laughs> Yeah, I love ridiculous. ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> so stupid. Oh, you, didn't, you didn't like that one that it well? Was, it was... It's it's good for beginners. I think for for the for the beginners that that just want to get interested, yeah. it does cover a lot of good stuff. I mean, it's a it's a good story. It's I good think intro. I think broad strokes it misses the point of I, Slender Man. I agree. I, I think it's really well written as a yeah, story. Yeah, as a singular story. Yeah. If if they had named it anything else or even had given it like a UFO twist instead, like like yeah. But you're right. There's a couple like, details that don't fit with. No, and you know it might have been it might have been fresh in the mythos, but part of me felt like this was post the video game. Like this is a. I felt like this this was written. Yeah, yeah. Like there are the people who first, you know, saw the something awful or the pictures or the memes or literally any of that, and then there were those who watched the YouTube, which came directly after. Yeah. And then, you know, in conjunction, various creepypastas afterwards. Um, I think those are like the three first three stages of like Slenderman fans. I think the fourth and most popular was the video game. Yeah. And I feel like this is post video game. Someone who isn't quite as. I don't I'm the James character in this story. I feel like in high <laughs> in high school I was the specialist on Slenderman. I fucking loved the idea of him and it gave me so many nightmares and I and I love it. But um a, but say, a lot of this doesn't really make sense. Would you say to to stay away from Slenderman? If you oh, actually yeah. had that conversation. I actually with, when I get when I get super paranoid and being alone in this house doesn't help. When I get super paranoid, I think a bit of my mind always goes to the like, you could disappear and no one will fucking know. And like, that's the scariest thing about yeah. Slenderman for, for me personally. I think the shadow manipulation is number two because my peripherals play tricks on me a lot. Wearing, yeah. wearing glasses, my peripherals are fucked. And, um, and I feel like, you know, walking next to a woods, driving next to a woods at night and feeling like you just saw something mind yeah. immediately goes to slender man like there's just something about him that latched on to me when i was in high school and i just like when i know i'm thinking about it too much i literally tell myself to stop because <laughs> because then i'm just like 
I'm like, you haven't been taken yet. Oh, that's <laughs> no, that's 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 yeah. real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This real life me experience is what inspired my story. I think <laughs> the authors that have made Slenderman like the thing it is would be very pleased that you feel that way. Uh, oh, fucking I, totally! I, I think they're yeah. I think they're beating it right yeah, now. Yeah. Just li- <laughs> like if I could if I could send this episode to the people who created Slenderman, they would probably end up totally masturbating yeah. right now. Say my name! (laughs) Say my name! (laughs) Say my fucking name! Oh, no one ever remembers the name. You just lost it. Yeah, immediately soft. You just lost it. Yeah. Shit. This is the next story. (laughs) I'm probably going to trade off with you at one point because I realized I do want to read my story with you as one of the characters. So this one's called Tall, Thin, and Faceless. Or as Django Phillips said, Tall, Thin, and Handsome. Ooh. Ooh. As as the Slenderman creeps out of the shadow, blows you a kiss, and walks back into the shadow. Slenderman, let me go, but not before kissing my cheek, essentially. It's like, just because he doesn't have a face doesn't mean he can't step out of the shadow and you just hear... And then, and then, him, and then him immediately slink back He's into the shadow. He's just looking for the right person with a couple arms. Tall, thin, and faceless. From Creepypasta. Walls. White walls. White padded walls. Day in, day out, white padded walls. Let me tell you why I see these white padded walls. Day in and day out. I am, or at least according to several doctors, certifiably insane. Hallucinations, paranoia, schizophrenia, multiple personality disorders, the list goes on and on. I was a normal, working-class man, living the American dream. I had a wife and two children. My income was high. My debt was low. I had it all. Then things started to go wrong. They started to go in a direction I couldn't even fathom. My wife and I had always wanted to go to the British Isles. But for the longest time, the money wasn't there. It took seven years and two promotions before we could even begin to think realistically. Anyway, after months of careful planning and preparation, we were on a plane flying over the Atlantic Ocean, just me and her. No kids, no job, nothing but beautiful scenery and relaxation for 24 straight days. Shit. That's a big vacation. Fast forward a week, having taken in many of the big sights, we decided to see some of the smaller places out in the countryside. We packed a small bag of essentials and took a cab into the rural side of England. This is where things started to go wrong. Not the whole world was coming to an end wrong, even though it sure felt like it, just wrong. We came across an old tailor in a moderately decorated cabin. He said he had been making suits for over 65 years. My interest was piqued. I decided to splurge a little bit and buy one. Nothing beats the craftsmanship of a home-tailored suit. After paying for it and calling for a cab, a picture on the wall caught my eye. It was old, black and white, mid-fifties. It was a very tall and very slim-suited man standing on a grassy plain. His face appeared to be smudged out. It was old. I didn't think much of it, even so. Something about the picture was unnerving. It gave an odd vibe. It almost felt menacing. I inquired about the photo, but the old man refused to talk about it. That just added fuel to the mental fire. Days upon days had passed. My wife and I took in every site, every castle, every grassy knoll we possibly could, but alas, eventually we had to go home. Part of us wanted to stay, but we were exhausted. 
There was no way we could spend any longer there. Our flight back home was as vague as we were both as... Our flight back home was vague as we were both asleep most of the time. The drive back home was hazy. We just wanted to relax. As I pulled in the driveway, something was off. Something didn't feel right. I got the same feeling I had when I saw the picture inside the tailor's home. It was a feeling of dread and curiosity. I didn't want to continue, but my mind forced me to. I stepped out of my car, and when I stood onto the concrete, my legs suddenly gave out. I fell to the ground, onto my right hand, and found myself unable to force myself up. I must be more tired than I thought. My wife helped me up and supported me up to the bedroom. I was going to be asleep for a very long time, or so I thought. Or so I <laughs> yeah, yeah, then, then my wife fucked me. <laughs> you want to take it from me? That's why he's in the mess. Awesome. Yeah. I'm in these walls because my wife. Oh, I tried to fuck me. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. That night, I was plagued by nightmares of the suited man on the grassy plain. It wasn't really a bad dream as much as it was his presence haunting me in my subconscious. Just standing there unnaturally tall, unnaturally thin. Standing there without a face, without an identity. And no matter how hard I tried, his face never focused. It was as though the picture had come alive in my thoughts, but remained unchanged. This went on until I had been abruptly woken up by the sound of the smashing of a lamp. I raced down two flights of stairs leading from the bedroom to the living room. Armed only with the brick we used as a doorstop, I slowly crept to where the only lamp in our house used to be. I knelt down to pick up a piece to examine when I felt a slight blow of wind from behind me, like a person running past. I shot up faster than a startled cat. I spun around to see who or what it was. My eyes had still not adjusted, so surrounding me was nothing but darkness. My next thought was to listen. Nothing. Not a single thing. Not even the sound of a house settling. Maybe it was my nightmare. Or fatigue playing tricks on me. Maybe we had a slight tremor that caused the lamp to inch off the table. Regardless, I was tired, and I sorely wanted to get some nightmare-free sleep. It didn't happen. Throughout the rest of the night, the slender man was everywhere within my dreams. He was a bit curious, though. He only ever seemed to cautiously hide behind trees. Only in the original photo was he completely exposed. Even subconsciously, I wished I hadn't moved next to a forest, knowing he would be lurking, watching me, analyzing me. It didn't take long to force myself awake. 10.46 a.m. I looked to my left. I looked to my right. My right. <laughs> <laughs> I looked to my left. I looked to my right. <clears throat> I looked to my left. I looked to my right. My wife was calmly sleeping. Lucky her. I dragged myself out of bed and slowly made my way downstairs. I half expected the TV to be blaring with my kids' eyes glued to the screen, but then I realized that they were at their grandma's house. They were due back that day. I was going to miss the quiet. It was alright. I missed my kids even more. I continued down the stairs hoping to get a game of solitaire in on the computer, when something made me feel very weak and hollow. The lamp wasn't broken, but it wasn't brand new, either. Someone took the pieces and shoddily glued them back together, and the glue wasn't glue. It was black and rubbery like tar. I would have tasted it for origin, but that's never a good idea. My wife needed to wake up. Soon. I was starting to panic. I explained what happened the night before about the lamp and the nightmares and such. She just rolled her eyes and told me I was on something. Wives. Sometimes I think they do it on purpose. 
Still feeling uneasy from this morning, I managed to force myself to look out into the forest behind our house. It was very calm, nothing out of the ordinary. It wasn't completely dark, so it didn't look nearly as ominous as it usually did at night. I was badly lamenting this night in particular. Suddenly, I saw a light out of the corner of my eye that caused me to nearly jump out of my skin. It was just the kids getting dropped off. I swear I was thinking too much into this. I couldn't keep my nerves steady half the time. Hours passed. We played with the children. We put them in bed. We relaxed on the couch. My wife was asleep on my chest. I was nodding off. So I closed my eyes. It wasn't long before the quiet was broken, and my wife and I were woken up. A window broke upstairs. In a panic flurry, we ran up the stairs as fast as we could. Our eldest son, scared out of his mind, said it came from his brother's room. Without even thinking, I kicked the door in. Only the nightlight in the far corner brought light in the pitch black room. And there he was. They made it for my dreams. David Bowie? <laughs> what are you giving back my son? David Bowie in space, man. <laughs> You're so tall, man. The man from my dreams. The slender man. Hovering over my son's bed. Something David Bowie would also do. Yeah, definitely. <clears throat> Having seen him, I acted without even knowing what was going on. Punches were thrown. Long black tendrils whipped all around. The last thing I remember was being held tightly above the ground and thrown against the wall. That's when I blacked out. When I came to, my wife was in tears. I ate three cracked ribs. My son was gone. The slender man had my son, and there was nothing I could do. But I knew he was going to come back, and that's when I would get him. I just want to say, um, this is reminding me a lot of Proxy. You ever, you ever watch Proxy? What that is? Really good, like eleven-minute short films on Slender Sunman. Um, dude, we should we should watch that after this. Uh, it's really it's really good. Love the love the acting. That was yeah. that was great. Black, that was a, a taste of Oh, I'm I'm sorry for freaking you out and making you. I'll I'll put your lamp back together. <laughs> I'll put your lamp back together with my tentacle hands. It'll take have, it'll take like two seconds. I got tentacle hands, I don't man. Have glue. Like don't worry about it. It just comes out of my fingertips. Yeah, it comes out of my tentacle hands. Yeah. Did you ever watch Milk Review? It's, it's like that, <laughs> but it's just really gone off. It's really old milk. I'm sorry. I'm posted so tall. <laughs> I, I, I really liked the detail, the attention to detail. Um, I just thought it was kind of funny that, like... <laughs> That it was put back together with like a black tar. I was just like, yeah. so is he's implying the Slender Man put his lamp back together for him, <laughs> basically. I was like, it's just, I really, I really hope it's a proxy thing. And by a proxy thing, for all the listeners that aren't aware of Slender Mythos, um, proxy is when Slender Man has control over someone from their paranoia and fear and nightmares um, and has the ability to make them act out personal. Or imagine things going on that aren't actually happening. Which is usually, as far as I know, usually how he operates. Yeah, I would say, yeah, I would I would say seventy percent of the time it's it's proxy the fuck out of someone, make them kill the people around them, make right. them kill their the things they love, estrange them, make them wanted, um, and then take them. Yeah, I would say seventy percent of the stories go that way. And, and this, this is starting is, is just is home repair. So it's like, it's like fix your lamps. Fix your lamps. He does electric work. Um, babysit your kids. Very low cost carpentry. Yeah, yeah. 
and she's like kind of a DIY guy. The rest of the day was full of emotion. My wife could hardly stop crying. My other son was in a constant state of shock. I could barely think straight. I did, however, manage to call the police. I told them my son had been abducted by a man in a long black suit. I kept the details of the tendrils to myself in fear they wouldn't believe me. That was the least of my worries. I needed to figure out when he would return. The police showed up and took each of our statements. They examined my son's room. They did a quick scour of the forest outside. It seemed not a single piece of evidence was found. They had begun to leave when something hanging from a very high up branch caught their eye. It was a piece of material, black, pinstriped, much like the suit I bought while I was on a vacation. I pointed this out to the police and they inquired to see my suit. I gladly showed them the way. When, when they opened the closet door, what they found was beyond belief. Wrapped in my now tattered suit was my son, completely drenched in blood. He didn't look conscious. Both myself and the police were shocked and disgusted. That's when I blacked out. When I came to, I was in an unfamiliar place, gray-painted walls, small windows on one of them. One exceptionally bland table. Great. I was in an interrogation room. I sat there, alone for the good part of an hour before actual human life entered the room with me. Now my memory is a bit hazy at this point, so I'll try and sum up the conversation as best as possible. The officer had said, your son didn't survive deepest sympathies to you and your family. You've not been proven guilty, but evidence leans towards it. A further investigation must be held. You'll be brought back home, but you'll be under constant supervision. So on and so forth. I was driven home in the back of a police cruiser. Last time I was there was in high school, when vandalism was a cool thing to do. I was welcomed with open arms from my still-sobbing wife and my emotionless son. Going back wasn't easy. Thankfully, we didn't have to stay long. Police explained that we were going to stay at a hotel for a few days. We gathered our things when a picture from our fridge caught my eye. It was a picture my late son drew. When I saw it, my heart nearly stopped. In the cutest crayon drawing you can imagine was my son standing next to a tall, faceless man in a black suit. I made sure no one was around to see me stuff the picture into my pocket. The hotel was what we would normally expect, simple wallpaper, two twin beds, one TV, cheap flowery design on everything else it would have to do since we were stuck there. We settled in, placing out our stuff and lying down. I, on the other hand, went to the bathroom, the only place I knew was private. I locked the door and took the picture out of my pocket and scoured the page for clues, but to no avail. All that was there was the crude drawing and his name scribbled into the bottom corner. Thing that unnerved me the most was the fact that the Slender Man had no face, no identity, not a single outstanding feature. It rattled me to the core, but it had enough stress, but I had enough stress from today. I needed sleep. Badly. Do you want them to acknowledge your presence even though you're not going to be in this episode? <laughs> we kind of have to. Let's get spoopy. You're here, you're here. Disco Dracula. Now I have to mark this episode as, like, <laughs> needing your fucking theme song. Um, Disco Dracula showed up for the last, like, 20 minutes of this podcast. Maybe last, like, 15. Um, we're finishing up a Slender Man story right now. We're doing all Slender Man this episode. The night was rough, but I still managed to. Not a single dream with the Slender Man, either. Then a banging came from the door. Being half asleep the whole time, it scared the shit out of me. I turned to my right, 5.14 a.m. Heads were going to roll. I dragged myself out of bed and very slowly opened the door. 
It was the police officer that drove us here. He had a look of panic on his face. He said my son was missing. Nothing clicked. It took me a minute to wake up and grasp reality again. My son's body was missing. Snatched right from the hospital. But this time, I knew where he was. I had to get back to the forest. I had to find the remains of my suit. It was the only way to stop the Slenderman. But I knew it wasn't going to be easy. I had asked the police officer if he could drive me back to my house. As I had forgotten something, he pondered a moment and obliged. This time, I had been allowed to sit in the passenger seat. The ride there was quiet. I tried to get some sleep. He didn't start any conversation. When I got there, I was careful to make sure no one else saw me. I entered the house through the front door and quickly escaped out the back and headed for the forest. It was still very dark out, so traversing the heavily wooded area was not easy. The only light that came through was that of the moon, so I walked almost blindly, hoping to find some scrap of my suit. It seemed to be impossible until amidst the darkness I saw a scrap of paper. The white of it stood out like a sore thumb. I leaned down to pick it up, and when I turned it around, what I saw completely horrified me. It was another drawing by my son. Both him and Slenderman. This one was different. There were three other people. A boy the same height as him, an older looking girl, and another boy as big as the girl. And it dawned on me, it was us, my family. My son drew us with the Slenderman. Then I saw a beam of light. It was the police officer. I ran up to him and showed him the picture. I explained that my family was in great danger. All he told me was that there was nothing he could do. He said we should go back to the car and we would go back to the hotel. A million thoughts ran through my head. Should I concede? Should I resist? What I did next is peanuts compared to what was about to unfold. But I didn't know. And looking back, I didn't want to. I gave in to the police officer's request and began to head back to the car. While he had his back towards me, I picked up a fair six stone and brought it down upon his head. Jango Phillips and I both just kind of nodded trying to figure out what a fair six stone is. Yes, it's a big, it's a big loaf of bread. Is that, is that, what, you, is that what you said? British slang for a big loaf of bread. No, fair, fair six stone. It's a fair six stone. He staggered a bit and fell to the ground. I took the car keys off of him and ran towards the car. It was still dark. I needed to get back to the hotel. I screeched to an immediate hall in the hotel parking lot and ran towards the door where we were staying. I swung open the door to behold the one thing I was trying to prevent. Amidst all the blood that painted the room were three bodies making a circle around the Slender Man. He turned and looked at me. His hollow, non-existent eyes stared deep into me. Emotion I had never felt before. Emotions without names filled my brain and body. It was like he was making me feel everything he ever had. And with an outstretched hand, he said only one thing. One thing that would be burned into the back of my mind forever. Help me. Sirens came from behind me. I turned around to see the police cruisers pull into the parking lot and watch them get out. Using car doors as shields with their guns aimed at me, I raised my hands above my head. I slowly looked behind myself to see the Slender Man fade to nothing, leaving only a tattered suit and a heap on the floor. He killed my family. My life would never be the same, and yet something told me I was never going to see him again. I would never be able to exact revenge, even if I figured out how to. 
Everything up until the white padded walls isn't exactly clear to me. I've been told that after they saw me at the hotel with my DNA on the suit, I was made the primary culprit. After they arrested me and subjected me to frivolous testing to which they got nothing more than unintelligible noises, I was submitted to this place, the white padded walls. The same white padded walls I see all day every day. No one will know what happened to me and my family. The emotions that were broadcast to me caused me to lose my ability of speech. Now all I can do is write and draw. I write out the emotions that the Slender Man felt. I draw the things he has seen. They are what keep me here. I am a victim of another man's emotions. Sometimes I feel like I have become him, like we were the same being. That day I learned something. We were Slender. Slender, slender men. <laughs> so it's a pro- it's a proxy experience. Yeah, I think it's a proxy experience with a nice twist. That was so much better than yours. Than y- yes, than <laughs> the slender like... man cometh. His son was drawing photos, drawing pictures. I also I head. also feel like that was post post video game okay. as well. Another derivative. Yeah. Um, too much about the flashlight and woods and pick, collect, well, collecting tattered things. Kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I felt like it was a it was a sly nod. Yeah, sly nod. Yeah, you said you started with with Slenderman, didn't you? Like creepypasta? You're no, right. it this was uh, a Remember, too. it was Squidward's suicide and the that uh, suicide mouse one, the yeah. one with uh, them no, finding the, the uh, yeah the, the scrolling video. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, where they supposedly found it in like Disney's vault Archives, or something. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's what I started out with with creepypasta. I thought about reading Suicide Mouse at one point, and then I was like, nah, it's it's all about reading it and then immediately and then the watching video, the video. Yeah. Immediately watching the video right after you you read the story or during is is a really crazy experience. Um, we got one more story. Yeah, it's hidden. <laughs> it's hidden. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Disco Dracula can't find my bomb. So. <laughs> it was behind the wall. <clears throat> so I wrote this story, oh my god, in probably like 2007. Yeah. This is the first. We're doing the Slender Man special and we're going to end it with the story that I actually wrote. You will not hear this anywhere else. So, so yeah, it's good. You don't remember the Slender Man story I wrote in high school. You know what? Now that you mentioned it, I do I reworked it and re-edited it so it sounds a lot better now, but it's essentially bare bones, the same exact story from high school. I don't remember anything from it. So this should be... I do remember you writing a Slenderman story. You probably read it. Probably, I'm assuming. You probably read it. I didn't have a life. I don't have a life now. But uh, this one's called uh, The Marble Dube, which is essentially D-U-B-H, which is um, in some... I think there's a beast called a doob, which is D-U-B-H, and uh, a lot of people say that... Uh, it's a great name. Yeah, uh, uh, I mean, um, in their dialect, I'm sure they'd probably say it differently. Yeah. yeah. But um, <clears throat> but it's what Slenderman could essentially be, which is like a um, an entity, a force, a shadow, um, something to do with stealing kids. Cool. Um, I'm going to let uh, Django Phillips... Take it, we're going to do switch off with dialogue. Marcus shudders. The draft coming through the screen window is meant to remind him to stay vigilant. His eyes blink continuously, trying to gather focus on the clock mounted above the empty fireplace. 3.23pm. He's managed to stay awake for 63 hours, 
and he has no plans of letting up anytime soon. As his right ear twitches to the sound of approaching footsteps, he notices a shadow pass over the window, moving quickly toward the front door. Marcus springs from the armchair in the middle of the room towards the door in front of him, checking all the locks. The doorbell rings. The doorbell rings. Taking a second to peer through the peephole of the door, Marcus shakes his head. Relieving the pressure built up in his neck, his entire torso relaxes as he undoes both the locks on his front door. With the screen door locked, just like he had planned, he peeks through the crack, ready to slam it shut. But he doesn't. What do you want? The words passing through his clenched teeth, his lips barely moving. Hey, dude, uh, where have you been? You haven't shown up to school a single day this week. A lot of us are... (coughs) Nick is interrupted by a fit of coughs Marcus is trying to stifle. Are you sick or something? We're pretty worried about you. Whenever we try calling your cell, it goes straight to voicemail. Nick trails off, realizing that Marcus is now staring at him with no intention of sharing empathy. I dropped out. Marcus opens the door a few more inches, stretching his arms. You dropped out? Just like that? Practically overnight? Don't your parents... Interrupting Nick again, my parents understand enough. Marcus, if something is going on with you, you can tell me. What do you want? I want to know what's going on with you. Marcus steps in the light of the now open doorway. You don't talk to me for almost two years, and all of a sudden when I stop showing up, now it gives you a reason for concern? You're acting like I owe you something. Honesty? What honesty have you given me these? Marcus stops talking almost immediately as something catches his eye behind Nick. Nick turns around and tries to look in the direction that Marcus is staring but sees nothing. Turning back to Marcus, who has now gone a shade paler, they make eye contact. His pupils dilate as he breaks his gaze with Nick to look behind him once more, this time with hesitation. Staring through the mesh of the screen door, Marcus unlocks it, still gazing behind Nick. He's come inside, manages to creak through his lips. Nick thinks about taking a second look behind him but doesn't, moving past Marcus into his living room. Marcus pulls the screen door shut and locks the bolts on his front door. Nick moves through the house, silently questioning the position of the armchair and the dining room table up against the back door. No, wait. Marcus catches up to him, realizing that debris clutters his room. Newspaper clippings and papers litter his desk and most of the floor, while the laptop sits on a perfectly clean bed that looks like it hasn't been slept in at all recently. Go to the kitchen. Both of them sit at the kitchen table, awkwardly moved from the center of the room so that it hugs the wall with what Nick notices as another locked doorway. Marcus passes a cup and a pitcher of water from one end, slugging his own back in what was probably a single gulp. Without pouring himself a cup, pushing the pitcher back. Now, I need to know. Nick asks. What could you possibly want to know? What's going on with you lately? Nothing anyone can possibly understand. Marcus yawns out, hurling his arms back for a wide stretch. He rubs his eyes, making the bags under them look more prominent. You look like shit. Nick says, making Marcus laugh. Yeah, well, I'm on some new medication and it fucks around with my sleep schedule. You're having trouble sleeping? No. Marcus leans back into his chair. I'm having trouble staying awake. Puzzled, Nick asks. Is that why you pulled yourself out? You can't stay awake? Marcus laughs. No, I dropped out because I can't, uh... Like, it's hard enough to explain to a psychotherapist without sounding insane. So I haven't told anyone. It's not worth risking being put in some crazy house for Nick or Marcus this time. If it's affecting you this much, then how do your parents not know? 
Uh, a lie? What? Drugs, depression? What other excuses do I need? So it's not drugs or depression. Okay, then tell me. Why? Because I want to know. Marcus stops, thinks, and releases muffled coughs into the elbow of his sweatshirt. Okay. What? I'll tell you. Perplexed, Nick asks. Just like that? Looking back at the front door, exhausted, Marcus wheezes. I have to tell someone. <clears throat> I have no idea how much time I have left. Probably not going to change anything, though. <clears throat> though it might help to get it out of my system. Nick sits up, attentive, ready for whatever Marcus has to throw at him. You're probably not going to believe this, but I've started to hallucinate. Except the hallucinations are almost vivid, almost real. The shadow, at least it starts off as a shadow, but it's its not a shadow. It looks like a man, but wrong. Something is off about it. But the distance blurs everything, its clothes, its face, its body. So you're hallucinating a man. Nick's face shows that he's trying to comprehend. No. Marcus continues. It's, it's not a man. I'm almost sure of it, but it's like it's it's like it's trying to look like one. You know, like it has a... It almost has it. But the, the limbs are too thin, and the arms are too long, and the face is almost missing. The face is missing? He doesn't have a face? I don't know, Nick. I've never gotten close enough to figure it out. At first, I thought it wasn't real. Just my mind playing tricks on me. Shadows where there should be none. And then I started seeing something. And I started to think it was just my imagination. Making something up couldn't probably or logically understand. But now it constantly feels like I'm being followed, like I'm being watched. No matter where I am, even right now, I have this creeping paranoia rising up my spine, raising the hair on the back of my neck, someone's watching me. I didn't know what to do anymore. It was like everywhere I looked, in the peripherals of my eyes, I see it, but when I would turn to face it, it'd be gone. I'd only been allowed a few short sights, trying to gather detail on who or what it is, but I've come to realize that it's almost like it's, uh, it's playing with me letting me see short glimpses of it on purpose. Outside. What? Just before, when you were looking behind me, did you? Yeah. What did you see? It was standing behind the tree, in the Shelley's yard across the street. Nick stares at Marcus dumbstruck, so he continues. It's getting closer. I think it's grown accustomed to watching me. At first, it would be entire miles away, a lone shadow creeping out of the top of the cornfields or on the opposite side of the park, hiding with the trees. But that's the closest it's ever gotten. Marcus begins to break down, tears streaming from his tired eyes, his bony knees causing the table to quiver. I'm seeing something, Nick, and I don't know what to do or who to talk to. I feel like it wants to hurt me, but I don't know I don't know if this is all in my head. It could be all in my head, because it doesn't ever seem like anyone else around me is having this problem with noticing it. And I'm scared, Nick. It's inhuman, just the, the thinness of it, the way it stands. Like, it never moves, but you look away, and it's gone. But it's not gone. It's just somewhere else. Looking at you. It, d- it doesn't even have a face, but you know it's... You know it's looking at you. It, it's looking right at you. 8 p.m. Leaving Marcus's house. Nick's, Nick gets to his car and looks up to see if Marcus is still in the doorway. He's not. The door's closed and most likely locked. Fumbling with his keys, trying to unlock the door, Nick fights the urge to look behind him. He turns, looking up and down the lamplit street, noticing not a single person in sight. Managing to open the car door, Nick adjusts in the driver's seat and takes another look at Marcus's doorway and an empty driveway. I hope his parents get home soon, he says to himself. Thinking back to the conversation he just had with Marcus, he begins to drive home, replaying the dialogue in his head. The thing is, Nick, I can't leave this house. 
I know it's getting closer, like this buzzing in my ear getting louder and louder. Why haven't you told anyone? You really think anyone would fucking believe me? It's hard to assume even you do. You can at least get protection, people to follow you, watch out for you. Like the fucking Secret Service? If it means catching this guy, stopping whatever it is he's doing. Slamming his fist down on his knee, Marcus interrupts. There is no catching this guy, Nick. I'm not even sure there is a guy. Marcus gets up and goes to his room, leaving Nick awkwardly by himself at the kitchen table. Hearing Marcus shuffling, Nick yells out, What? So you're just going to stay here for the rest of your life, living in your parents' house like some kind of hermit? Coming back into the kitchen, files under his arms. If that's what keeps it from getting what it wants. What does it want? Isn't it obvious? Marcus asks with no clear answer from Nick. Marcus closed the door behind Nick and is about to sit back down in the armchair when a shadow passes over the window. Cautiously, Marcus stays where he is, watching the shadows glide until it rests in front of the door. The doorbell rings, bringing Marcus back to reality and then doing the locks on the front door. Probably forgot something, Marcus says to himself. When Marcus opens the door, expecting to see Nick, he sees no one standing on the other side of the screen door. Instead, in the middle of the street stands a tall, gaunt, unproportionate figure. Within the two seconds it takes for Marcus's eyes to register the horror, the figure flits from the middle of the street to directly on the other side of the mesh screen doorway. Before Marcus can completely turn around and run from his room, he hears the screen door open behind him. I've dug up some research, going back as far as 83, even 79. Pictures of a shadow in a park standing behind and away from everyone, but watching, stalking children. Here's a fun fact. Did you know that 100,000 people go missing in the United States every year? No. Nick answers. Now handing Nick a bunch of documents, old photos, newspapers, and statistics, Marcus continues. Yeah? Well then, I bet you didn't know that over 600,000 children also go missing in the United States every year. People think think it's pedophiles or something, capturing little 8-year-olds. Or thinking that it's just some 16-year-old that ran away and never came back. This, this is how it blends in so well. No one questions it. It's all expected at this point. There's no way you can solve that many missing children cases. It's almost 2,000 a day, all over the 50 states. Marcus stops, letting Nick gather his bearings, before handing him a single photo. It's... Nick begins with stops. I know. But this is... Us. I know. My mom took this photo on my ninth birthday down at the Jordan Park. Look in the back, the top right behind the pavilion. Nick's eyes move to the directed corner, and he spots a slender shadow blending into the tree line. To anyone else, it probably just looks like another tree among all the trees, or some weird photo shadow murmur or whatever, but to me, I see it. I see it too. Nick's admission, letting Marcus exhale a sigh of probable relief. But you're saying this thing has been following you for eight years? Maybe even more. Okay, so what do we do? How do we stop it? How do we get rid of it? Nick asks. There is no getting rid of it. Marcus pops back into the kitchen chair. Out of all the research you did and all the stuff you recovered, no one had anything to say. No one talked about how to beat it. This isn't some pest or rodent, Nick. You can't just chase it away or scare it off. You lock your windows, your doors, and you stay hidden. This is the best advice I've found. Maybe it'll lose interest. Handing Nick a piece of paper, he picks it up and reads... Death is a delightful hiding place for weary men. Herodotus, 4084-430 BC, to which he promptly slides it back across the table. You can't just shut out the world, Marcus. It's not the world I'm trying to shut out. Marcus's eyes glaze over. Thousands of kids every year. 
Marcus grows pale and his lips tighten. Listen, this is just what it wants. It wants you to fear. It wants you to tire. It wants you to forget. One night, you forget to lock your door or your window. You stay up listening to the way your walls creak at night, but you're not even listening to the fact that it's probably already in the house. It'll hide in every shadow. It'll wake you up when you're sleeping, make you think there's nothing there, but it is. And there will be nothing left. Nothing to be found. It'll be like you never even existed. Nick sighs, forcing the memory out of his mind as he gets out of his car, walks up his driveway, and into his family's house. Everyone's in the living room watching TV, so he sidesteps the doorway and climbs the stairs to his bedroom. He's tired, having had an unusually exhausting day, so he gets ready for bed. He passes his sister's room to the bathroom and brushes his teeth. By the time he starts in on his molars, he looks out the window, expecting to see something, but nothing's there. Rinsing his mouth and spitting into the sink, he turns off the light and passes back through the corridor and into his bedroom. Closing the door behind him, he lays down into bed and puts his phone on the charger. The screen illuminates, showing no messages, only a few spam emails from various sources. As he puts the phone down on the side table next to his bed, <clears throat> he hears a single floorboard creak outside of his bedroom door. Staring at the doorway for a few seconds, he turns away from it and rustles under his covers, closing his eyes to get some sleep. Why are you telling me this? Nick asked Marcus. Well, you asked, didn't you? Yeah, but why are you telling me this? Specific feelings, precautions, procedures? Because there's, there's something about it. Sometimes it chooses to be obvious. An uncomfortable nagging picks at Nick's brain until he opens his eyes and picks up his phone. Dialing Marcus's number, Nick waits. A purring and a busy tone begins to buzz in his ear. On the other end of the line, from within Marcus's bedroom, the phone vibrates silently on the floor, while red and blue flashes light up the room through his window. Nick ends the call and is about to press the redial button when another creak is heard outside his bedroom door. It occurred to me, Nick, that you came to my ninth birthday party at the park. You were there when we cut the cake and when my mom took that picture of us. It wasn't until I opened the door for you that I knew. He wasn't just looking at me then either. He was looking at you. I was just the first person to notice. That's such a fun story. That's great. You enjoyed that? I love that. That was awesome. That's great. I will say that, like, I was particularly happy about how... I know in your first episode we had talked about how restraint is sometimes the easier and then better option yeah. when it comes to horror. And I had to, I cut a lot of like, I cut maybe a page of detail of just like, just more shadows and more like creeping suspicions and like, I, it just felt too repetitive. And then at the end, I didn't want to be like too on the nose by like showing that, um, those creaks coming from outside his bedroom door were very obviously yeah. from Slenderman. I, I think right. it's it's much it's much better to just let readers assume all of the terror, like based le- on the paranoia from legit, within the story. Not to throw smoke or anything, but the <laughs> uh, the whole like going back and forth between the conversation that they had in the past and him doing his bedroom routine and like getting ready for bed or whatever. Awesome. The fact that 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 scene where Marcus is dead at this point or gone but the only missing missing, but the only thing you see when you're watching the movie or whatever whatever thing is um the the phone on the ground and the the police lights through the window so many smart things it was awesome well originally this was a script okay originally i had wanted to do a short film of this 
at one point I wanted to film it, but then it just it, it stayed better as a story, and then I've just re-edited it, it and resubmitted it. Um, I haven't. I don't think I've sent this to Creepypasta yet. I've been kind of waiting to figure out if it's worth sending to Creepypasta. Uh, I think you should. You think I should? Maybe I should see if I could get my own my own authorship on a creepypasta. So that was um that was the marble dupe. <laughs> it still sounds like like weed. It's I know, I know. The marble dupe is like the marble dupe is just the cleanest fucking want. joint you've ever held in your life. You know, <laughs> that's the mar. That is the marble dupe. Slender Man 666 special of Django Phillips. Ooh, Valentine's Day. <laughs> How did you Yeah, probably, yeah. right? Um I might I might just I'm going to I'm now going to save this one or at least try to aim it towards Valentine's Day now. Um just because it's too funny. Yeah. Um but how did you feel about this episode? I I loved it. You know? I thought Slender we did Man. some some uh, quality stories here. There there was not a single story that we read tonight where I was like that was bad. There, yeah. there, you know, the story there, at the beginning there, had problems. There are different, there are different directions yeah. that you could run in with Slender Man, but ultimately, like it's, it's pretty easy pretty to, to write a good Slender Man story. Yeah. What about you, Disco Dracula? You just kind of sat there for the entire last story. How did, how do you feel? How am I supposed to feel? I came in late. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. You just showed up, but I still want to know what you, what you thought about my story. It was a great story. It was a great episode. Good job, guys. Hate did, him. You, <laughs> did you drink any interesting milk last in the last week or so? This yeah, is have, also you, have you drank? This is also milk review. That I'm starting a new podcast. Yeah. This could be called um, Milk Review. Oh, jeez, uh, that's a good question. No, I don't believe I have. Great. <laughs> the same old milk. Nothing special. Every episode. You know, it's funny. It's funny that like we only bring up the milk review now because I swear every fucking time I have Sir Booberry on this show, we we end up talking about cereal for fucking hour. Uh, well, <laughs> Not awesome. His name is Sir Booberry. Yeah. <laughs> like we sense. we continuously come back to it without even realizing it. I'm I'm not I'm not joking. Oh, but this was this was lots of pasta with uh, with Django Phillips and uh, and a sudden arrival of, of Disco <laughs> Dracula, <Yes. laughs> featuring <laughs> featuring Disco D D D D the Revenge.